You know when your mojo is working, you feel like anything is possible. There's a spring in your step, your thoughts are clear, and well, you've just got the vibe. If you're looking for that vibe, or if you just want to keep it, you've come to the right station. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house. Good to have you on the bus. We call it the big red bus that is the Mojo Radio Show. We have got a great show lined up for you. A really inspiring story about two parents who had a dream and are now bringing that dream to life for their son. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Sitting in the bus behind the driver's wheel, there's the panel that drives the Mojo Radio Show. Robbo, uh, welcome this week, mate. How's things? Not too bad, mate. Packet of Tim Tams in one hand, can of Coke in the other. Let's go. Oh, life's good, mate. <laughs> the, breakfast, the breakfast of champions. <laughs> and speaking of which, I'm just going to say, uh, to start the show off, pretty exciting news. We, uh, we got a bag of swag sent to us this week. A bag of swag? Yeah, now it's in the Mojo Radio Show office, so you haven't got your bit yet. No. Uh, but I will bring it to the studio. I just, I just forgot to bring it in, but I will bring it. But um, we got a whole bag of swag from Caveman Coffee. Nice. I <laughs> love <It's>, that. <laughs> mate, as the kids say, it's sick. Yeah. So I've got you... Uh, a, a, a very well, it's actually more like a bed sheet than a t shirt because of the size of it. But, um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got you a caveman coffee t shirt, a super cool cap, this mug that you, you drink it out of, which mm. is it's just it's a super cool brand. And, uh, what's really interesting about this is they have MCT oils, they've got this uh range of product you can drink cold, like coffee over ice type thing. Nice, nice, uh, and different brilliant black stallion. Uh, caveman coffee but mm. the exciting news at the back of it is that the guy who is part of the team who own it who created it, who drive it a guy called Tate Fletcher mm. is a former UFC fighter he's a stuntman an actor and his list of movies he's in right now and in the past is super impressive mm. And uh, he has agreed to come on the show to be part of Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Oh, awesome. That, that rocks up Rocktober. Now, I don't think we've had a UFC fighter on before. No, I'm pretty confident I we mean, can say no. Yes. I mean, you and I have been a few biffos. Yeah, it's been close. It's come close. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so UFC fighter and a, and a true Hollywood stuntman who's acted with uh, with the greats. So nice. um, he will be a feature of Rocktober. So uh, does the swag come with um, some blood pressure control pills as well? <laughs> I, I must admit, I did go a little hard on the caveman coffee over the weekend. I was, right. I was, a, I was a bit wide. But uh, it's all good stuff. And the MCT oil they do that you drop mm. into your brew is yeah. uh, is first rate because I love my MCT oil, medium chain triglycerides. Nice. It's the, uh, that's the healthy fat. That's what I like. The Mojo Radio Show. Before we start, very quickly, mm. uh, I just want to say thank you to your people because mm. this show is completely ad-free. Hello to our friends at Tim Tams and Corona <laughs> and, and, and Caveman Coffee. Um, the show is completely ad-free. It's sponsor-free, sadly. Uh, but what keeps us going is the feedback we get from our audience, our listeners from around the world. And whether you send us a note, jump onto iTunes and leave us a one line in ratings and reviews or leave us something or even a like on Facebook. We'll take anything, but we don't need much to be We're satisfied. <laughs> but uh, Courtney Thompson, Miriam Roberts, Connie Kiergowski, Rodney Frost, Martin Gain, Tonya Hood-Hess, Marcy Clark, Mark Threadgold, Jackie McClear, Kim Rudder, Andrew Carr, 
uh, and Tasha Wells all said uh, g'day to us through Facebook and left us a bit of a like. And, Tasha uh, Wells? Said, yeah, yeah. Oh, she, she just got handed out a CD pack for spotting the Tim Tams. So there you go. G'day to Tasha. Well done. She actually left us a note saying, um, great show, well done. So we're, we're sending swag. We're sending swag. That's right. We're swags of CDs this time, not coffee though. Out of the Mojo Radio Show price cupboard. <laughs> yeah, at great expense to the management. <laughs> <laughs> we should buy ourselves a Black Thunder. Oh, we should. We, and we get Holger Brockman to voice our uh, voice our promo. The Black Thunders <laughs> on 104.1 Today FM covering the streets of Sydney. Big fan of the show, Holger Brockman too. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Holger. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's a good times, good times. So uh, thank you to those people for getting our mojo working. We've mm-hmm. got a big show. Uh, we should rip into it. We should. The Mojo Radio Show. With rugby in the title of this week's episode, I'm probably not going to be real interested, I guess. <laughs> well... <laughs> No, but I th- it's just such a beautiful story. I mean, this is a, a story of a family who really had a dream for themselves um, and this dream is now spreading to children and their parents potentially across the world. And it started when Anthony and Megan Elliott. Now, I, I've known Ant for quite a few years through business and he came to me a number of years ago and said, look, I've got this thing on the side. You've had success with the Tour de Cure. Can I spend some time with you just understanding what you do and maybe getting some thoughts on how we could make this thing better. And Ant and Megan started a program called Modified Rugby because their son, Max, um, had basically learning learning difficulties and just perceived things differently. And it meant that Max couldn't play normal rugby mm. because of the way he just looked, at, looked and perceived things and how different things, he reacted differently to different things. And there are a lot of children like that. So what Ant and Megan did is they created this program that allow children who have maybe different developmental pathways to participate. And it's now, they started very small, as a lot of great ideas do. It's grown. It's now spreading across Australia and potentially internationally. And this is just a beautiful story. And what I found most fascinating in talking to these guys was how the, it's the stuff that you don't expect to happen of how it impacts people, family and people around it that is so beautiful. Mm. And thankfully we've got the guys on the phone today to talk us through Modified Rugby, how it works, what it's like and how we participate. So Megan and Anthony Elliott, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, guys. Thank you, guys. It's uh, great to be here today. Thanks, Gary. Now, 50% of our show is a rugby tragic the rest is just a fan. <laughs> you've you've started this foundation, which we find terribly interesting on a number of fronts, which you want to sort of drill into during the show. Can you just, just start us off by describing what exactly is the Modified Rugby Program? Uh, so, Gary, the Modified Rugby Program is it's a new form of rugby uh, that we developed with the Queensland Rugby Union uh, at Brothers, uh, which is our local rugby club here in Brisbane in 2014. And we specifically developed it because our son, Max, has um, ASD. So he has autism and he has quite a complex language disability that sits around that. Uh, And because of Mm. vulnerabilities that he has in um, things like bright light, 
uh, lots of noise, lots of people around, and his ability to understand instructions. Accessing junior sport was just not an option for him. So we'd been doing some great sort of personal training really with him, with a professional rugby player and a little friend of his around the corner who has Asperger's. And they got to a point after a couple of years where they had some great rugby skills. And we turned around to their coach and we said, hey, look, um, the big thing about us is that there are 900 amazing families at our local rugby club brothers. But because of the complexity of Max's needs, he just hasn't been able to play Mm. in the sport where, see, all the other local boys started like, you know, at five and under six. And those families had all met each other for at least five years. So we we just weren't in that loop. You know, you meet so many families through your children, through school and through sport. So there was a big gap in our lives around that. Uh, so we said, look, what if we um, approach brothers and say, look, how do you feel about uh, working to modify junior rugby so that we can be a part of it as well? Uh, and that's really where the journey started. So it's a, it's a fantastic backstory. Just to put us in the picture, give me an idea of modified rugby. So Max is there mm-hmm. and he's about to go and play. Just step us through... What, what, what's it look like and how do they play? Each player um, has what's called a player mentor. So we involve older older kids from the club who are, um, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, who are that, that offer that older brother mentor role. So they actually shadow the player on the field. So Max's player mentor would, would stand next to him, uh, would, um, would coach him on the field to say, right, it's, you know, pass the ball to him, um, show him which direction to run in, uh, and just really fine-tunely manage uh, the game and the flow of play. And are they tackling, Ant? I mean, are, they, are the kids going through that? Is it a, a touch footy type thing or are they actually embracing each other like how does the how does the game play out in comparison to a normal rugby game that kids at that age would play it's just touch some kids would love to do tackle but a lot of the kids um <laughs> have, have, have issues with uh, people touching them so yeah you know we do two-handed tag on the shorts and that's actually a good um uh, exercise for them to learn that it's uh that mm. they've got to do two hands uh, the kids who do have issues with being touched need to learn to be touched so the kids are being challenged mm. every day in so many ways um, and they all improve dramatically throughout the season and grow uh, and mature. And Gary too, one of the, um, if you're, say if you had experience and you you knew what under six, under seven rugby starts, how that starts. Mm. So if you imagine a quarter field and uh, it's only, we only do 10 or 12 minutes a half because a lot of kids have, uh, you know, attention-based difficulties as well. Like some of the kids uh, who come into the program don't have the complexity of the needs of Max. So they might just have, you know, they might have ADHD or attention disorders. Some of the kids are are nonverbal. So in terms of all of the modifications, um, some of the kids need more modification than others, if that makes sense. But Mm. we start with the baseline skills because it's based on all of the tri-rugby pathway. So, you know, we sat down and we said, yeah, look, a quarter field's better. 
and we have only a five minute break and we only go for, you know, probably 25 minutes in total because fatigue is another big issue. So what we do is we use those player mentors as facilitators because the other thing that people perhaps don't necessarily understand with our kids is that there's a concept called proprioception, which is where their bodies are in space. And even Max still struggles with this. If you say, Max, where's behind? He's like, mm, where's behind? So what we do is we get the player mentors to stand behind because that's one of the core elements of rugby. You need to be able to pass the ball behind. But you can understand if you don't know where behind is because you don't know where your body is, then that's a complex rule. So we use those player mentors really strategically to teach them all of those core skills of rugby because at the end of the day, it's still it's rugby, but it's a modified form of rugby. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's very interesting, Megan. Robbo, as you well know, is a very successful rugby coach with kids. And in the studio, quite often, I have a hard time with getting Robbo to understand behind. So I put the (laughs) Tim Tams behind him. So I say, Robbo, Tim Tams, and he goes, behind. I go, yes. Great work, my friend. I'd like to actually just add to this that I actually am wearing my old brother's socks for this interview today. <laughs> oh, good on you, Robert. I am indeed. I knew the interview was on today. I went to the drawer and there they were sitting up the back, the white and blue. So on they went. I'm sitting here wearing them right now. Pity I'm not wearing anything else, but yeah. the good thing oh. is radio. Apart from the Divinals T-shirt from 1982, which looks more like a boob tube than actually a T-shirt. But anyway, look, let's, let's not digress. Guys, just on that, the kit thing, Robbo, is interesting for me. Do, do the kids kit up? Do they still get the experience of what they would see as a fan of kit, half-time, full-time, coach briefings? Is that is that kind of the same spirit? Kids are really excited when they get their kit for... Um for the you know the start of the season when they get their little backpack mm. and their their socks and that Robbo's obviously still got um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and all that stuff you know for, for these kids who have most of them have never ever played team sport before mm. so they are just so excited when they get their kit for the first time it's it's such a great experience to see they love getting their kit they love pulling their jersey on you know they love going out and buying their first pair of footy boots mm. um, you know a lot of kids get to do that you know every year and as they have done from from year six but for these kids they might be 10 and they've never done it before so a lot of the kids wear their stuff to bed the night before mm. uh, because they're so excited but yes, so we have a little meeting um, on the field before the game starts uh, where the mentors talk about what they're going to focus on um, for that day, uh, for that game with the players. So each player mentor has has a strategy for the game. Um, and it's all about trying to guarantee success for the kids on the field um, to get them just to taste that bit of, um, bit of success, whether it's a try, which would be great, or just just running and passing. It's um, we try to keep it quite simple. Um, at half time, we all sit down and we do the oranges and we talk about what what's happened. At full time, we then sit down again and the player mentors talk about what their player has done really well for the game, and then the players yeah. talk about what they're going to focus on for the next week. So it's very involved like that. You've got some. Um You've got some great support out there in the form of Nathan Sharp, who's become, I believe, an ambassador for you. Is that correct? Yeah, Nathan Sharp and Tim Horan, they've been um, our ambassadors from the start. Uh, They've been 
they're awesome guys. They're very, very supportive. They give us lots of time. Um, they're great. What else have they brought to the table for you? Have they, have they added a dimension that you wouldn't have had without them? Yeah, look, I think uh, the big thing about Nathan Sharp and Tim Horan is if, um, and Robbo, I think you'll you'll get this too, is if, if we had a picture in our mind about who we would love Max to be mm. when he grew up, mm. um, it's and who we would like him to be influenced by, it's statesmen. Yeah. And Tim Horan and Nathan Sharp are those people, you know, obviously rugby passionate people understand, but also they, um, their values, their behaviour, their community involvement transcends rugby. Mm. Uh, and so part of part of what what we want to do is create um, this uh, a model for our player mentors to go wow who do I want to be when I grow up and from us we want to say well wow look wouldn't it be amazing if Max was like you know grew up to be like one of his player mentors who made a contribution like Tim and Nathan and you um, you're a successful business guy uh, as MD of Elliot's quality safety gear you you have been around the business traps. You've achieved a lot. How has starting, putting this together and now being a part of this program, how has it changed you as a leader or how has it changed you as a man? I suppose with Max, when we when we first got Max's diagnosis and we, we obviously knew something was not right, um, we approached the whole situation very, very proactively. We went out into the community. We spoke about things openly. Um, we spoke to anybody and everybody searching for the best possible solutions to the problem that we had. And we approached Max's program very strategically in a very business-like kind of way. And Megan obviously outworked a, a, a lot of that. But you know, we 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 set some goals. We we found the resources that we that we needed. Um, we we put those resources in place. We reviewed our goal. We changed our goal, and we just kept doing that over over years over the years. And we believe that's one of the reasons why. Max is the boy he is today because we were told that he was he would probably never speak, and we said, "Well, sorry, we don't accept that. That's not good enough. Um, we're going to go and find whatever we need to make that happen." So we've done that, and then obviously we wanted to share that that experience and that modelling with other people, and that's why one of the reasons why we started Ginger Cloud. So how it's changed me, um, it's it's been fantastic for, for me as a father um, to be involved with Max and the rugby club because I never got to do that. And it's given me exposure to a lot of other people in the community who have missed out on a lot of things in life and um, and the MRP is giving them the opportunity to, to experience those things. Has it encouraged you to look at things differently, mate? I mean, it has. it's, it's, it's a, a wonderful program you're doing. There must be magic moments galore that go on every time the kids run out to play. Has it really made you look at things differently as a leader or as an individual or as a family? with the impact this is having on you? We've always had a positive outlook on things. What it has definitely demonstrated to me is that if you do have a problem, you can find people to help you solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, when you, you're dealt a hand that you're not expecting in life, 
um, and that you know the pathway that you've envisaged, you know, for however long in your life is is cut off. That there are are other pathways in life. And sometimes, a lot of the times, those pathways can actually be better, a lot more um, meaningful. And I think through our journey, we've met some fantastic people who have had far bigger challenges in their life than ours, but they're very positive people they're, um, and they've just embraced the issues that they've been faced with and just get on with life. Megan, having gone through this together, which I think is just a beautiful message for families. Can you think of a particular moment that happened with this program where you suddenly understood what it was all about? You really understood it? Absolutely. I still tear up thinking about it, Gary. Um, (laughs) We were about halfway through the pilot program at Brothers and we were standing at the clubhouse looking out onto the field, watching the kids play and watching Max play rugby. And up until then, we never in a million years ever, sorry, uh, did we ever anticipate that could actually happen. Mm. And um, I had, so clear, I had a glass of red wine in my hand. We're at the rugby club. (laughs) We were... On a Friday night, which is what everyone else had been doing for six or seven years, mm. and um, we were standing watching Max play rugby. Wow. Wow. And the the impact of that, we I still feel it now. Um, mm. And I think we knew that uh, or we hoped that it would be that impactful for for Max and for, for children with those similar vulnerabilities. But what made that moment so interesting was that whilst I was in my lovely state of watching Max and drinking my glass of wine, I had a tap on my shoulder and it was from one of the parents of the player mentors and um, she turned around and she said to me, look, I know that this program is really important and it's really beneficial for Max and kids like Max, but she said, I have to tell you that I think our children as player mentors are getting more out of it (laughs) than, uh, than Max and his friends. And it was at that moment that um, I I suppose that light bulb went on for us about um, the true deep benefit that involving children with learning and perceptual disabilities directly in the community, the benefit that that feeds to the community. Can we just... um Pack down there for a second. That's a, that's a rugby term, Robbo. Pack that's down. Um, yeah. We're just going to scrummage there for a second. Yeah, okay. Um, Crouch, touch, <laughs> pause, engage. <laughs> you, I think I'm fitting the scrum, buddy. I think you're at the front touching, engaging and packing down. Um, just on that, Megan, I, 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 that was just a beautiful piece and I think it's terribly inspiring of not so much even where you thought you could take it but the impact you're having on people that was unexpected. If you knew you couldn't fail... What's the dream for this program? Cast your mind five, ten years down the track. What can you and Anne see as the dream? A truly global program uh, because the reason being is we know statistically um, that it's about 14% of current children uh, within Western countries, you know, let's let's say Australia, with significant learning and perceptual disabilities. So that, that includes ASD, um, you know, some nonverbal disorders. We've got a child in the program who's totally nonverbal and yet scores the best tries 
in the program. It's it's just amazing. There's no reason why we can't take this program everywhere uh, because it's so powerful and the and what's so lovely about it is the benefits equal. Do you know what I mean, Gary? It's like you mm. always look for something where the value is, um, you know, the old adage about reciprocity and this is kind of one of the things we talk to the player mentors about is, look, when you give, um, once you've experienced giving, the old adage about getting 10 times back, well, with this program, we think it's about 100 times back. It's the they. It's that sense of your contribution to the world and hopefully at the end of the day, that's why we're all here and if we can teach the player mentors and, and, and create this, as we say, we want to nurture a generation of young people for whom disability is normalised. They've grown up with our kids. They, they just know Max is a rugby player. You know, and, and we want them to take that to their communities everywhere, to government, to leadership positions. You know, rugby creates leaders. So if we can set up this model where we go, look, aspirationally, this is who you can be. And if you if you invest in yourself and, and you invest, imagine what the values um, that you will bring to the world, whether you're in a government position or a business position or a community position, just the totally different level of awareness from when we grew up. So, you know, you always hope that the, the parent, the next parent doesn't have to go through as many rabbit holes as we did. But, you know, that that body of young people, that's incredibly powerful, really, really powerful from a social change and a community engagement and a and a diversity perspective. And I think one of the interesting things that we hadn't even thought about was we sat down with a researcher recently. We said, oh, look, what you're doing is you're creating a generation of people with a greater understanding of, of um, difference. And I said, oh, what do you mean difference in terms of a disability? And he said, no, 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 difference in diversity across the board. He said, because these, these kids will take with them a different view of diversity in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality, in terms and in terms of disability. So they saw the benefit out of just the disability sphere as well. And to be honest, that's something that we'd never... We'd never thought that far. Yeah, we'd never thought that far, yeah. but... It's interesting that people from the outside are saying things like that. What's the latest news, Ant? So from the modified rugby camp, I know you were in Sydney just recently and in Canberra having meetings. What's the latest news and what what can we expect to see in the short and longer term for the program? Well, one of the things we piloted this year was um, the MRP7s which is the, the next stage of the MRP for, uh, for the players. So, you know, we're a couple of seasons in. Uh, some of the players have been developing really, really well. They've got some great skills. So we, we've modified the Viva 7s program to come up with a, an MRP 7s, which involves, um, which is less of a player-mentor one-on-one relationship. It challenges the players a little bit more, so they have to really step up. And we don't cut them as much slack as we do in the MRP. The sevens is a game that, you know, mums and dads, brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts can, can all step in and play. And it allows the MRP player to continue playing rugby at their club for as long as they like. Next year, we can, we'll, we'll be rolling that out to the existing MRP clubs. 
But um, we've got a lot of interest from other clubs for, for next season. But obviously one of the big uh, issues that we're finding at the moment is, uh, is funding. Funding is one of the biggest priorities we've got right now. So uh, the, the scope for the program next year is, is, you know, potentially a lot of expansion throughout Queensland into the ACT, uh, New South Wales uh, and even Victoria. Uh, but we've also had interest at, at, from New Zealand and also uh, the, the UK. And there would be a lot, of, a lot of people listening to the show who admire what you've done, have got either an idea or simply a desire to either individually or as a family or as a unit, as a community, do something for others and start a program to help somebody. How, how have you funded it? Like what advice would you give to somebody so far? Because... We've talked about kit and the mentors and the program and there obviously are some expenses that you've gone through for the number of seasons. How have you gone about funding it? Like what advice would you give to somebody to help them get their dream just to, to start? Well, I suppose to begin with, we funded it personally um, and, um, and through our businesses we funded it because that was the only way we could do it yeah. to, to, to kick it off. Um, so we, look, we're fortunate to, to be in that position to have been able to do that. But very quickly, we had um, the support of the St George Foundation, who helped us out for for two years. Um, and if, if it wasn't for their help, you know, I, I don't think we'd be where we are today. And I think the other big thing is the Queensland Rugby Union, Gary. So yeah. you know, the the QRU, whilst. Um, uh, there, you know, they've got that very strong association with um, St George, and that those introductions and those connections um, have been incredibly powerful. You know, the Queensland Rugby Union do so much uh, in terms of, you know, they provide us access to facilities at Ballymore, uh, you know, the incredible experience at Suncorp that we have each year, and. The, the, I guess the other big thing, um, the, the recommendation that we would make to people is make sure that you've really got a good strategic plan. So we, before we even approached um, the Queensland Rugby Union or before brothers approached the Queensland Rugby Union on our behalf, we'd done a lot of analysis around what rugby clubs can currently do and what they would need to do to be able to deliver a complex program like the Modified Rugby Program. So what we've done is um, created a framework that we go in and support the club with. So basically the um, we say to a, a club, you don't need to do anything other than what you normally do. We'll deliver the rest of those elements that you as a club don't need to do. One, you haven't got money to do it. Two, you know, rugby clubs are huge volunteer commitments. We can't expect a club to put on any more pressure on them to what they already have. And also there's quite a specific skill set that you need to deliver a program that's modified for, for specific uh, needs and modifications. It, is a, it sounds like there's a lot more to it that goes on behind the scenes as opposed to just matching up some kids, giving some kids some jerseys and putting them on the ground with the ball, isn't it? Uh, there's a lot more than that, Gary. Yeah, it's um, mm. and, and what I was going to suggest was that, you know, in, in addition to obviously approaching things very strategically, you need to run these things like a business, really. If anybody else looking at setting something up, you need to obviously approach things very strategically. You need 
need to run it like a like a business. You need to put yourself out there. Uh, you need to talk to as many people as possible. Um, engage with the experts. Engage with people in whatever space that you're looking at doing something in. Um, but it it's, it takes a lot of work, uh, and it takes a, a long time. I think I think we've done a lot in a very short period of time, but that's been due to a lot of strategic planning. Um, and we've invested back in to, you know, as, as we've said, we've, we've put a lot of money back into this program. Yeah, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, Gary, a lot. Yeah, and the big thing is, Gary, too, is we, we are incredibly lucky because we have an awesome board. And one of the things that um, a few of our board members said was, look, it's really hard to engage great quality board members when you start up. And I think that's given us an incredible um, opportunity because you know we have um, we have a competency based board from the beginning so that we can drill into skill sets you know we needed assistance going through the ACNC process you know there are governance uh, complex governance issues you know you've got constitutions it's a whole range of things and then even just getting a DGR status I think that's a very uh, a very profound thing Megan is that that thought of setting up a competency based board mm. yeah. right from the start, which can then, to Ant's point, operate as a business, create a strategy, stick to it. Is uh, mm. Because when you go to present to the big guys like a St. George or a QIU, you really have to have a plan. And and so many people looking for assistance and all, in most cases, all very, very worthy and all great. These guys are only going to support a, a, a select few and those that really look like they can do it, deliver, make the road hit the road, do the right thing. So I think they're very, very wise words. And, and I, I think the this, this stat that you talked about before, Megan, with the, the number of kids around the world who mm. may be in a place to be able to take advantage of a program like this, I think is, is very, the, the dream is just so noble and wonderful. If people want to get in touch, learn more about the program, you guys, Ginger Cloud, uh, what's going on, maybe be involved uh, in some way, Participate or contribute? Where would you send them? Uh, I'd, I'd send them to either either our website at gingercloud.org.au, um, or um, go to our Facebook page. We've got two Facebook pages: one for the modified rugby program and one for um, Ginger Cloud. Just before we let you go, two things: um, would there be any chance of us getting a hold of uh, Nathan Sharp to have a chat with him on the show? Because uh, as soon as you said the name Nathan Sharp and Tim Horan, suddenly Robert had powerfully hit. I dragged him away from his Tim Tams. But I was doing a Mexican way. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any chance of getting Sharpie on the on the program? Do you reckon? I think Nathan would uh, would love to uh, to have a chat to you guys. Now, listen. The other important question too is is how's Brothers going this year? Last time I checked, though, I think they were second on the ladder. How's, how's their season well, going? It's it's the final on Sunday at Ballymore. Uh, so uni, 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 so it's oh. going to be a big, big game. The big derby. Yeah, big game. Nice one. I'll put my money on, brothers. The boys can do it. Keep wearing socks, Robert. <laughs> 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 Don't take them off till Sunday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I've got two final things for you. Uh, earlier, Robbo mentioned that you had, as I just mentioned, the two big heavyweights, Tim Horan and Nathan Sharp, behind the organisation. I've got a big heavyweight here in the studio that would love to uh, be a part of this program. Do you reckon we could find a space for uh, Robbo and that in that front row there packing down as a heavyweight, guys? 
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, if you're still wearing your rugby socks, Robo, you've obviously still still got some skills. So I reckon we've got some player mentors here um, who'd, who'd love to get you up here and, yeah. uh, and, oh, and, oh. and learn from you everything that you know about rugby. I, uh, I still pull the boots on, mate. I've been playing a bit of golden oldies, so that's not out of the question at all. <laughs> yeah, just don't wear your crop top, hey, Robbo? No, okay. What about, what about the boob tube? Do you reckon that's yeah. appropriate? <laughs> no more boob tubes. <laughs> Unless it's the butcher strike. Uh, and one final question, Robbo. I'm going I'm to take, take the big question on. Okay, you go. You go, son. The two of you, if you were going to do a dedication, a song dedication that we could play to all of the players the mentors, the parents involved with Modified Rugby to this point to take you into the future, what would be the song that you would dedicate? Well, Gary, I think um, we like all different kinds of music, right? So this might come out of left field for you. But um, at the time, the, the really kind of the dark days that we had uh, were going through with, with Max in the early days, one of the songs we listened to a lot was, uh, with a Keith, was a Keith Urban song called Better Life. We ain't got much now. Just starting out But I know somehow Paradise is calling Someday baby You and I are gonna be the ones of good luck's gonna shine Someday baby You and I are gonna be the ones So hold on We're headed for a better life So, um, so that kind of that kept our spirits up and 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 kept us looking forward during um, during some pretty tough times. So that'd be our song. Well, I reckon it's a great song, a great dedication, great way to finish it, Robbo. That was um, that was a very uh, very moving tribute, mate. We I don't think we we haven't had a Keith Urban song, and our show is a little rock and a little country. So that's right. It is in our it is in our lane. It's right up our alley, absolutely, and a, and a great <laughs> song. I have to say, I'm a bit of a Keith Urban fan, and a great Aussie. Let me tell you that. Uh, I know Keith uh, and his management from back in the day when I was a roadie up in Bris Vegas, and uh, there's one thing that his management used to say that when you've got a true dream, it's uncrushable. So it's quite appropriate that we use Keith as a song in our uh, in our dedication and our song to finish up the show. Guys, thank you for joining us. It really has been a treat. I think what you're doing is just wonderful. It's it's terribly noble. It's having a massive impact. Um, we look forward to having a chat to Sharpie on the on the, on the mm. line and uh, getting his perspective on things. But on behalf of Rob and I, just um, thanks so much for, for what you're doing and for sharing with us. Indeed. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Robbo. And, and thanks, the Mojo Radio Show. And uh, give my regards to Crosby Park. <laughs> Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. So uh, you're feeling inspired to pull the boots back on front of the season? Yeah, right? I'm actually pulling them on this weekend. But um, I tell you what, that, that just warms the cockles of my heart. I mean, you know, they're so right. I mean, rugby is such... Well, any sport, really, let's be honest. Any sport is such a family thing, isn't it? You know, mum and dad go along to watch little Johnny or Susie have a run around on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. And for families to have to miss out on that because of, I don't want to use the word disability, but, you know, it's the only word I can think of at the moment, because of a disability, it's, the, it's so nice that they, they don't have to miss out on that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it is. No, I think the other thing that is so simple but we need to pay attention of is that your first comment about mum and dad taking their kids to sport and standing there and watching them. I think that's an important piece that over the ages, every child 
wants their superhero, mum or dad, to watch them and see what they do. But too many times today we miss those magic moments because we're too busy looking at our digital <laughs> devices and we take the kids to the ground but we're certainly not watching them, we're yeah. certainly not engaged or emotionally involved in the game, so to speak. Um, so I think it's also a nice uh, a nice takeout for us. But um, once we uh, had finished that call, uh, Anthony and Megan put us in touch with Nathan Sharp. And he's a former Wallaby captain. And from almost day dot, uh, Nathan has been involved with the modified rugby program. We got his number, gave him a call, and Robbo, um, you'd be like a, you'd be like a fat kid in a Willy Wonka's chocolate Mate, factory. I've got one this, word. You? Sharpie! Sharpie! Big fan of the show. So, uh, Nathan Sharp, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. How are you going? Yeah, good. Very well. We um we have had Anthony and Megan on the phone, and we've been talking about the modified rugby program, and they said that you are pretty heavily involved in the program and have been since the early stages. Mate, what 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 attracted you to the modified rugby program? Oh, look, I mean, when you say heavily involved, those two have just been incredible. You know, they um uh, they they. They start. They picked up an idea and ran with it. And um, you know, at the time, I think that when they approached myself, um, you know, I know Tim Horan as well. One of the things that I love about rugby uh, is the community. Uh, it's not just the memories you have on the field; it's what, what you share off the field as well. And mm. you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect, but you know, I can still remember the first training session that I went to was was a bunch of kids that. Ordinarily, wouldn't have been able to be involved in, in playing natural sport. Um, they're having a great time. You know, they they were out there experiencing things they hadn't experienced before. They're interacting with, with with all these other kids that they potentially wouldn't get an opportunity to in, in, in a team sport situation. But the other lovely thing about it was all the parents were sitting up the clubhouse, watching their kids run around, having a beer, and, and talking about you know life in general, and and, and maybe mm-hmm. sharing some some common experiences. And I just think that. That to me epitomises what what rugby is all about. So you know, for for those kids to be getting so much out of it, um, you know, that makes it worthwhile. But the the added bonus is that seeing what the families uh, who are going through similar problems, the, the support they get out of it as well. So I think it's just a absolutely winning concept. Nathan, you've you've been to the top of the mountain in rugby, captain the Wallabies. You've seen the highs, the lows. For you personally being involved in this program, what effect has it had on you personally? Like, what have you personally taken out of it? Oh, look, I think it's just refreshing to, to come out of the professional side of rugby. And, you know, there's always club rugby and, and all the rest of it. But this really, I guess, opened my eyes to the power of what, you know, what or the influence that a rugby club can have on people and their lives. And, and for me... It makes the, the game, which is you know a true global game, all that more powerful. Because as you know, it's taken off in Brisbane. It's now taking off in other states, in other cities. It's also going internationally as well. And um, mm. you know that for, for me and, and Anthony to set this up and, and to have to have done it so quickly and so efficiently, um, you know, to me it just it just says what when you've got a, when you've got a problem that needs solution. A solution, uh, you know, if you dedicate some some serious horsepower to it and some energy, you can achieve anything. And to Megan, it was really interesting. They spoke of the fact that the kids playing and the parents obviously get enormous benefit out of the modified rugby program. And 
The other thing that had occurred to them was the impact that it's having on the mentors who are on the field guiding these kids through the game. You must have had some pretty incredible mentors in your time in professional sport. Do you remember a particular mentor and something you took away from that mentor that even today you still remember and draw upon? Oh, look, I was incredibly lucky when I first came through in professional rugby uh, to, to play with some guys that were at the top of the game. You know, I came into the Queensland Reds when you had guys like, you know, John Eald and, and Tim Horan and Todd Ikefu. And, and just being around those guys was, was you know, I look back at my career and, and that's the luckiest thing about my career. I think the timing from when I came through. Um, mm. And mentoring for me is the most important thing in the culture of any organisation or team. And for these young kids that are coming through that are, that are actually in the program, they're learning what it is to be selfless and, and to put other people first. And at the age of 14 or 15 or 16, that's a huge thing to be doing. So, you know, the mentors themselves, um, they're learning very, very valuable lessons that most people don't even start considering until they're sort of mid-20s, uh, early 30s, you know. For the parents who are listening to this, who maybe have kids that would be suitable for modified rugby. And as you've just said, Nathan, it's spreading now across the country in Australia and ideally uh, overseas as well with the interest they've had from overseas countries. What advice would you give them? What, what would you say to them to give them comfort to, to take the step to be involved? Oh, look, it's, it, I, I don't think there, there, there is no downside to this. You know, the kids are running around. There's no contact. Um, you know, they'll be throwing the football around, they'll be interacting with other kids. And, and the program is designed in such a way that um, it is a really easy step up for them because they have a mentor assigned to each each um, kid with a learning disability. So, you know, they, they can't go too far wrong. And, and, you know, I think that if there is any, any concern, uh, it should be quickly eroded because, you know, I've, I've got friends that have kids with learning disabilities and, and they absolutely love it. And, and I've not heard one negative thing about the whole thing. It must be pretty rewarding in general, Nathan, to, to watch the faces of parents and kids as they experience something that they never thought they probably would. And it is, you know, and I think you guys sort of mentioned before my input into the program. Well, to be completely frank, I just got lucky because, you know, Megan and Ant uh, approached me at, at the right time. I was just finishing up from rugby and it was a, it was a great fit. And, you know, if, I hadn't, if, if they hadn't asked me, I, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to experience the things I have experienced around it. And, Mm. You know, I take my kids down there, and you know they're only seven and nine, but they love their they love their rugby, and and, and they 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 want to be involved when they get older now. So you know, it's it's open. Yeah. Sometimes it's one of those things, you know, where you you go, you don't really know what you don't know until you know it. So you know, hadn't I had that exposure, I, I wouldn't have seen some of the things that I've been privileged enough to be involved with. Yeah. Robert, let's do a, a Mojo Radio Show flashback to two thousand and six. <laughs> Yes. The Super 12 competition was expanded to become the Super 14s. Western Force mm-hmm. in Perth announced that they had a team that would play. Nathan, yep. you were named the inaugural team captain. Back at that moment, being a captain, brand new team, brand new brand, what were the values or philosophies that you wanted to instill into that team from day one as a leader? I think integrity was the, the most important thing. Uh, you know, being authentic around around what you did, and and I have to say, you know, in in reflection, I think that we made a lot of mistakes. Um, mm. You know, I always look back at that time and, and think, you know, we could have done this differently, we could have done that differently. 
there was just such there was so much going on. It, it was a huge organisation to to come together all at once out of nothing. And you know, un- unfortunately, sometimes I, I think that we had some amazing people there. We um, put our best foot forward at the time, you know. And in hindsight, you always look back and think, well, we could have done this better or that better. And, mm-hmm. you know, we probably squandered some opportunities along the way because we, we were focusing on the right things potentially. So, you know, for me, you, you, you like things to be a reflection of who you are. And I think, um, you know, that was the, the genuine intent. And, and sometimes I don't think we got that right. But for me, you know, how lucky was I? You learn the most from me. Not your disappointments, because I love every moment of being involved with the Western Force. It was a great decision. But you learn your most from, hard, from the hard times, you know, and we certainly had a few of those. Nathan, just, just on that, just one, just camp there for a second. You said we probably focused on the wrong things and not the right things. In your mind, what were those yeah. things? Like what were the things you focused on that in hindsight you probably shouldn't, but in hindsight – Here's really where we should have been focused. Oh, I think you know there was such a expectation that we'd come out and win games straight away. We probably focused on the on the short term rather than the long term so much because we had. When I look back, we had a honeymoon period there where we could have, or well, we did. You know, we had several years of not winning games, and we still had fans turning up and really um, supporting us well. And I think we probably could have taken more time just to be a bit probably harder on ourselves. You know, at, mm. at times I thought. Because there was so much going on, we were probably a little bit focused on winning every game on the weekend, and then what was going to happen the weekend after that. Rather than thinking, you know, in three years' time, we want to what we want to do is here is have a culture like the Canterbury Crusaders, which is underpinned by you know that integrity, that discipline, and everyone understanding their role. And look, that's a hard thing to do, you know. Um, and if you, if you get a few things wrong, then you you, you set yourself up a failure. One of the great leaders in sport that I hear mentioned a lot uh, in rugby particularly was John Eels, Nathan, and you won the John Eels medal a couple of times, second time was in 2012. As a leader, looking back at John Eels, who you mentioned earlier in the interview that you played with in that early period, what was the leadership quality that, that Eelsy had that you most admired? Oh, look, Eelsy just managed people well. You know, I think when I first came into the, to the Red Squad, He's a guy that took an interest in me as a young player. You know, I was I was three fifths of bugger all in, in impact on what he was doing as a um, a player on the field each week. But he took the time to get to know me and, and take an interest in me. And, you know, to me, that made me want to you know play for him when I when I finally got the opportunity to, to play with him. And you know, he was he was a great captain. He's a great player. But what he did off the field was he engaged with his fans. He made sure everyone in the team was okay, but he did it with a, you know, a, a balanced view of the world. It wasn't, you know, more, more, more for the players. It was, well, you know, a little bit of this would be good for the players, but a little bit of that would be good for the for the, for the uh, for the game itself. And, you know, you've also got to understand, and he'll be the first one to admit it, he came through some, with, some, with some pretty good dudes at his side, you know. He had a lot of yeah. support there. And in any team that's good, it's not about one player that makes a captaincy. It's about, yeah. you know, four, five, six really strong leaders. And, you know, the best teams in the world have those. England, who won the World Cup in 2003, they had Martin Johnson as a captain, but they also had Delalia, Wilkinson, you know, uh, Mike Catt. They had um, uh, Will Greenwood. They had Neil Back, you know. The, the All Blacks, when they won the World Cup last year, you know, look at all the players that they've got, um, that they've been integrating into, that, into those leadership roles. So... 
you know, there's certainly that area. But he would have loved the fact that he didn't have to worry about calling lineouts or, you know, organising defensive pattern of the team. You know, he had people there looking after all that. And all he really had to do was, like a good manager does, have his line manager and, and keep them accountable. Yeah. There's something Robbo have been talking about. Nathan, I'd be interested in your perspective on the Olympics in Rio has just finished and the chef de mission, Kitty, got off the plane in Sydney and talked about the team and said that it wasn't all about just winning medals, uh, obviously, and said it was about being the most respected team and the most admired team, the Australian team, in the world. Yeah. I've, I'm curious, is from your you've, – you've played, you know, a lot of footy. You've played with some greats. You've had great leadership around you, great mentors. For me, looking at the Australian team, we've got a lot to learn, not only about celebrating victory but also how we handle defeat. And there were some pretty ordinary demonstrations. I saw it right across yeah. the board. I thought there were some outstanding examples of people. There was one guy who was a shot putter made the final, big buffy, an Australian guy, and he was great. And he said, you know, you're not going to see this sort of throwing, you know, this is the Olympics. That was an extraordinary. I just got outclassed. I said to Robbo, you know, that's a guy who just said, you know what, I just wasn't good enough. I need to go away and practice. But others made all these excuses and whined. And it just seems that there's something missing in sport today where we're not teaching kids to handle defeat. Would you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at look at it from a very young age. You know, now there's uh, competitions where there is no grand final because no one wants to have to deal with coping with a loss, mm. um, which I find abominable. You know, I, I, I don't know how you can have a competition and not have a result. Um, you know, and, and, and the results do matter because the thing for me is that you have to have humility with victory and you have to have humility with your loss because life is full of ups and downs and you don't always win and you don't always lose but if you can if you can stay constant with the way you deal with both then you understand you know the guy on the shot put you know I've got no doubt that he is happy that he went to the Olympic Games he you know was as he said it was a great competition but I can bet your bottom goal that he's gone home and gone you know what Stuff this next time I go to the Olympics, I want to win. But it doesn't mean I have to carry on like a pork chop. You know, he's, he's internalised that. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, um, you know, my young bloke had, uh, you know, district running uh, championship yesterday. And, um, you know, he, he came sixth in the final. And he sort of said, oh, you know, I'm sort of proud, but I'm sort of disappointed. And I said, well, that's not a bad thing, but a bad way to be. Mm, you did nice. really well to get there. But I guess it's up, it's up to you as to whether or not you're going to sit there and say, well, stuff this, next time I get there, I want to win it. And then, you know, everyone's going to be proud of you because you're involved in it, no problems. But I guess it comes down to your own internal drive as to how you respond to that next time. But the way you carry yourself has got to be consistent. If you if you had won that, you still shake hands with everyone. If you have a, and you came sixth, you're disappointed, but you still got to hold your head up and high and say, well, you know, I gave it everything I had. Um, and that internal fuel will say to him, you know, oh, I'm going to train harder because I want to get there. And, and, you know, I just think that that is the only way you can really carry yourself because, you know, there's nothing short of loss full of ups and downs. And, and uh, as soon as you're on the top of the scrap, as soon as you're on top of the mountain, you can be sure as, as heck that, you know, it won't take very long until you're on the bottom again and um, working your way back up. Gold, Robbo. Gold. Absolute gold. That's Gold. gold. 
humility in victory and defeat, I think, is gold. I think that's absolutely just nails it. And I think there were some wonderful demonstrations of it across all the different disciplines of the Olympics, but there are also some pretty ordinary demonstrations where people need to go away and take those lessons to heart. And the thing I think is, is most interesting, because you've got two boys, right, Nathan? Yes, correct. You know, the, the kids are watching the Olympics and they're watching all of it. And the number of athletes that I heard interviews with you know, who was sitting in the grandstand when Kathy Freeman won in Sydney or had watched something happen somewhere and decided that's what I want to do. And some 8, 12, 16 years later were in Rio. Kids are absorbing these messages off the off the screen. Do you think those yeah. messages aren't getting through? And Nathan, do you think there's, there's a block today with how we are talking to children but they're not being taught about humility in victory and defeat? Well, I, I think that, oh, look, I'm not an expert on it, but I think there's so much more available, you know, and people get on TV that probably shouldn't be on TV now and, and they can carry themselves in a way that probably isn't a good way for, for kids to learn. Um, but there's some pretty good examples, you know, like if you want to get back to rugby, you know, it broke my heart and pissed me off knowing that we couldn't get there. You know, I won the Blooders on oath. Two, we lost it in three, and I couldn't get it back. You know, the team that I am, we just, we tried our guts off and we couldn't get it back. But after every single Bledisloe Cup game, it might be deciding, you know, we, we might have gone to the side of one all and, you know, they took the third one off us or, or you know, sometimes, you know, I think a couple of years we had four games in a row where you had to win three, three games to one to get the cup back. But if you talk about humility, it used to burn me that, you know, Richie McCaw or whoever would get up on stage and lift that trophy. Like, it burned me. But the lesson that you learn from that, I think, is the humility that he showed. He had a raw smile, he lift the cup, but he wouldn't go over the top and rub it in our faces. Mm. And for us, you know, we, we used to stand there with our hearts broken and, and suck it up and watch it and go, well, you know what, we really, we really want to get that cup back. But we can't let them know that and we've got to, we've got to respect the fact that, that we were beaten. And there's, there's all sorts of, I guess, um, examples of that across the world but sometimes I think there's so much readily available that, that you know you, you, there is going to be a proportion of bad behaviour with, with the amount of exposure that happens across all sports across the whole world you know so yeah, that's a good point it, 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 I think it's a difficult thing and you're never going to control it and the more that media or you know people have access to learning about how to carry on after a, a win or a loss um, I don't I, I can't see you going back the other way anymore. Just on that, you know why Richie McCaw became a helicopter pilot, don't you? No. Because it's okay to enter from the side? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I thought it might have something to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> Someone told me the other day that when Richie McCaw uh, built his house, he didn't, he, he, he didn't have a front door. <laughs> he just put the door in the side. <laughs> Hello to all that All Backs uh, listeners uh, over Love there it. in the land of the long white cloud. Um, yeah. No, you, you can't bat Rich. He, he was, he was an, uh, an awesome competitor. And, oh, you know, yeah. I, I reckon everything he did was, was right. I, I would have done it too if I could have. Hey, look, as a rugby fan, you can't, you can't um, there's nothing you can say bad about the man, is there? He's just an absolute legend. Right, apart from what you've already said about it, Danny. <laughs> yeah, okay, we can joke. We can joke. But in all seriousness, the guy was just switched on and a legend. Too late, mate. To be honest. Too late. Yeah. It's, yeah, okay. it's Robbo right. at the Mojo <laughs> Radio Show. Um, so, Nathan, you've just talked about the All Blacks, and it's a team that I've been reading a lot about over the years, trying to understand what makes them so special. 
From your own perspective, having played against them a lot, what do you admire the most about the All Black team? I just think that they they have things the right way around. You know, their, their senior players, the way they live is exactly the way that they their, their players replicate it. They're consistent in their values. They're consistent in the way they carry themselves off the field. They don't carry on, carry on with all the bullshit. You know, the Kiwi fans, you know, can be painful, as can Australian fans, but the players themselves, they're humble, they get on with the job, and they're tough. And, and, and to be honest, you know, one of the most important things in professional sport is having consistency of preparation both mm. for the game and also consistency around standards. And they're, they're consistent with both of those. You know, they prepare the same way each week and they deliver a consistent performance. Their standards are consistent. You know, if someone messes up, the senior players take the ownership around that and they make the decision. They pull the trigger on on those decisions. And, you know, a guy like Steve Hanson, he's just got to sit in the, in the, in the, in the bus conductor's seat and, you know, just steer the wheel slightly left or right when it needs to be steered. And um, you've seen that on the, on the weekend. You know, Richard McCaw, Dan Carter, Nonu Smith, you know, and the rest of them that left. That all black team wants to be known as a team that can survive without Richard McCall and Dan Carter, and they showed that in the weekend that they want to do it again. And you've got guys now like Brody Retallick and Sam Whitlock that were the understudies. They're the leaders of the, the team now, and you can talk about the game on the weekend. You can say how good Bowden Barrett played, but some of those senior players were outstanding. Retallick, Reed, um, you know, the, the, the contributions they made were, were, were phenomenal, and, and that just comes from you know, living a certain way because a habit is not a sometimes thing, it's an always thing. If you, if you live those habits, then um, people learn from that. And the discipline went all the way down to the boots, didn't it? Because I, the All Blacks only wore black boots since Richie McCaw's being captain because that was he insisted that they only wear black. Is that is that correct? Do you know that story? No, I, 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 don't, I, don't know. I don't know if it's true, but, you know, they, they have worn coloured boots up until, every, up, up until the World Cup, you know, yeah. so... Um, the World Cup last year, they wore black. That might have been a sponsorship thing for Adidas because it looked right, pretty good. Right, okay, right. Um, so there could be a, it could be a myth. But, you know, if you want to perpetuate the myth, you know, like I like it because it shows team unity. Not not one yes, person's yeah. out there trying to be outlandish for the good of themselves. Everything right. for the good of the team. And, and that's what the All Blacks have always been about. Yeah, that's where I was headed with it. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's a Richie McCall call or not. You know, it's, that's, mm. so someone could have just made that up on the spot. Mm-hmm. Nathan, is there a, a discipline that you've taken from your time on the sporting field that you now put into your business life? Is there something that a particular discipline or message or philosophy that you employ on a daily basis in your business life today? Oh, I think committing to what you're gonna, what you say you're going to do. So um, certainly that's a, the key. But the other one is having good people around you because um, you can see in a in a coaching team or playing side of a team. It's the people, quality people around you that makes a difference. You know, in, in a sport like rugby, it doesn't matter if you're the best player in the world, you're not going to get anywhere near what you can accomplish on your own. And, um, you know, I think that the, the team first focus is, is certainly something that I that resonates with me. And, you know, we, we try and do that uh, with, with, with our company as well. Where would people find out more about you and your company, mate? Where would you send people? Oh, probably just the website. Or come and visit, visit, visit us in that one. So we, we just we're um, a blue collar recruitment company. Provide really good people to civil and construction and, and mining all throughout Australia. So um, 
yeah, we we're, uh, we started five years ago. I started with my best mate, and we, we sort of have just grown from there. So, you know, we we we, uh, we try and do things a little bit differently to the traditional recruit, recruitment companies, which is working pretty well for us. What's the name of the company, Nathan? Uh, SES Labor Solutions, um, which is a, 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 a we're not actually the SES, but um, when we first started, that was uh, <laughs> as, as like anything we. we we uh, we took that name and then realised post the actual uh, the event that SES probably wasn't a good fit for the actual SES that do operate in and through that uh, southeast Queensland. I'm going to throw you one final question, Nathan. We um we've been talking a lot recently, especially with the Olympics, on about being in the moment no matter what you're doing and centering yourself in the moment. Yeah. Um, in fact, we spoke to Drew Ginn. Uh, one of the Olympic rowers, a former Olympic rower, who talked about being on the starting line and just putting his hand in the water and realising that it's not hold, it's not hot, it's not cold, it's just water. Yeah. Um, and I'm here to race. This is what I got to do. Was was there a ritual similar to that, or a, a scenario similar to that that you would put yourself through before a game to to sort of get yourself ready for the moment? Well, I guess probably the biggest one for me was uh, my brother gave me a set of juggling balls when I was. Uh, about 14 and that was sort of like uh, hacky sack sort of material and I used to I lost one and then when I started mm. to take it all seriously I sort of took them just to get my hand coordination going before the game but I carried them through my whole career um, and just before a game I would roll them through my each hand and just think about I guess the people that were important to me and, and, and who I was representing uh, regardless of what team it was and, and, you know, in the end, it sort of became something that just sort of centred me a little bit uh, before I ran out, I guess. That's gold. Nathan, that's, yeah. that is... More gold, Gary? That's... Um, is it? Oh, it, sounds, it feels boring to me, but... Um, no, yeah. it's, um, it's very interesting. And the reason we are on this journey with this question, this line of questioning, Nathan, is because you, you hear about it and you read a lot about being in the moment and people say it's important to be in the zone and get yourself in the moment and appreciate, you know, the moment you're in and so on. And it wasn't until I finally got to Drew Ginn and asked the question that Robbo just said, and he finally said it was about the senses. And then we spoke to Anna Devaner, who's a sleep expert, and she talked about the senses when you're going to sleep and feeling your your doona and feeling the pillow and just relaxing and using the senses. I thought, I thought you better say something or, else then, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought she was going to say something else too, trust yeah, me. Yeah, right. And yeah. we've just now been on this line and it's, it's, it's very interesting that different people use their senses differently to bring them to that moment. And yeah. what you just said with the juggling balls was we recently had a, a guest on the on the show who talked about before they did anything was recognizing why why you're really doing this, who are you really doing it for before yeah. embarking on the mission. And it's sort of similar to what you've just said. So it's a really good question, but we're starting to get a thread through this, which is a usable, practical way that people can actually put themselves, get themselves ready for the game, you know, whether it be a PNC meeting or a presentation at a conference or a speech for a wedding, you know, whatever it may be. So it is gold, mate. It's one of the things about sport. I guess it's one of the only real times when you go into a contest where you're not really thinking about what's coming afterwards or what's gone before you. You are thinking about what's going 
on right there and then. So, yeah, anyway, but to, to finish that story, my second yeah. last year I was going through customs in uh, New Zealand and um, because there was little grains inside these little balls, and I'd been to New Zealand on numerous times, and, and uh, this bastard took them off me. So I don't have them anymore, so I didn't have them last <laughs> oh, no. year. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mate, it's... Uh it's been a real delight chatting to you. Mm-hmm. Um, just curious, Nathan, um, do you reckon there's still a chance that we can get a second rower into the Wallabies team? I mean, Robbo's pulled the boots back on him. He's playing uh, He's playing old boys and uh, he won best right, of Ferris okay. in, the, in a carnival just recently. Is there any chance we could put him up for a, a second row position in the Wallabies? What, 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 what are the chances? After last weekend, maybe. Well, I, 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 did, you, did you play in the era of line lifting? Yes, mate. I played in the good old era when, when rucking was legal and all that stuff as well, mate. I'm 47. Yeah, so that, that, that were good days, man. Yeah, that absolutely. Good days. Yeah, indeed. Mate, if you want to lie on my side of the ruck, that's fine, but here's my boot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually reckon that changed rugby a lot, the fact that uh, that went out of the game. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think anyone's had a ruck mark for 10 years. It's changed a lot. It was always funny watching watching the wingers hate getting into rucks because they were, as soon as the winger got into the ruck, the forwards just wanted to tear into pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, now they're, and, now, and, and now they're competing for the ball. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it used to be bait. It used to be bait, didn't it? You know, if you want to get the forwards into the, oh, into the ruck, just grab yeah, a winger and absolutely. drag him in. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, lad, thanks for that. Thanks, you. Thanks, Thank you Nathan. so much. No worries, fellas. Help us get the Mojo Radio Show on the iTunes What's Hot list. Hit up the Mojo Radio Show and leave a comment now. Oh, and please... You are such a disappointing pair. Be gentle with us. Well, I think that's about as close as I'll ever get to being a wallaby or wearing a wallaby's jersey. <laughs> But but I can also say that I now have Nathan Sharp mobile number in my phone. That kills that. Sharpie. What a great guy. Yeah, great guy. And I think uh, it's a shout out to all the Wallabies who are massive fans of the Mojo Radio Show. Absolutely. And um, and also, can I can I just say too, also testament to him and Tim Horan that I'm sure they're busy guys and with their you know, with their history with the sport and all that sort of stuff, you can almost say they've done enough for their sport. But to actually put their hands up and to become so involved in something as important as that, I think that's that's testament to them as human beings as well. It is, Robbo, and they are they are great men. And I have interviewed Tim Horan a couple of times at gigs mm. and spent some time just talking with him mm. quietly. And uh, he's a good guy. He's so centred. He is just a down-to-earth, good Queensland bloke. Mm. And I think it really comes through in these programs where the great sportsmen don't get too caught up in themselves, but they achieve the highest level and then get to a point where they say, how can we give back and how can we really make a difference? And I think these two boys are doing a fabulous thing. And to Ant and Megan, who, you know, with this program, we've been supporters through a pause for a cause from the early days. And we can, and we do, and we will continue to help these guys because it's, uh, it's lovely. But we've had a big show. Uh, we should close, mate. What do you got to, for us to close with? Well, I've got half a lesson in rock. I need you to provide the other half. <laughs> got it, rock. <laughs> Thank you for this chance to kick ass. Now let's get out there and melt some faces! The Mojo Radio Show's Lessons in Rock. We had footy finals on the weekend and I was trying to find some stuff that I could talk to the boys about before the game to get them motivated. And, well, I came across I came across something from Mick Jagger, okay? And, and I wanted... <laughs> so you were, you were trying to find something motivational for your footy team and you were Googling Mick Jagger. No, I wasn't Googling Mick Jagger. I was Googling a phrase, but this came up with the phrase that I was Googling and you, and you now might... Boys, would you pack down bass. <laughs> That's right. Please. 
Keith. Just watch out for Keith, okay? Keith. <laughs> Back in 1965, the Rolling Stones released their smash hit Satisfaction. We all know it. We all love it, yeah? Yep. It was their first US number one and it was also placed number two on the Rolling Stone magazine's list of top 500 songs of all time. Now, back in 1965, just after the song was released, a journalist sat down with Mick Jagger to have a chat about the album. And one of the questions he posed to Mick was, um, did you expect that song to be as big as it was? And Mick's answer was, of course, well, no, we never thought it would be that big. The next question the journo asked him was, did you think about the problem of writing a follow-up? And Mick's answer was, no, we didn't give a f- we knew it wouldn't be as good as that, but so what? Now, <laughs> this is where I need your help. <laughs> <laughs> so you just find something, just throw it out there and go, what do you recommend? Is there a lesson in that? Look, the lesson I see in that is move forward. You know, keep your eyes on the ball and move forward and keep the ball rolling. But I reckon you've got a better one than that. If I was going to take a lesson from that, I would mm. say don't try and write a hit. Mm. And what gets in the way of a lot of people starting is the concern that there's going to be failure. Mm. And that failure can be, I won't live up to the expectations that other people have got that say, if you start a business, if you do this, if you enter an event, you should. In which case you focus on the outcome. And it's a bit like Mick was saying, is that if you sat down to write another hit, you automatically get in the way of yourself. Mm. And if you just sit down to write brilliant music, then you're not worried about what other people think, which you you, you highlighted so eloquently. <laughs> um, but I think people don't start businesses or they don't start even a, a community charity event or they don't start working for themselves or they get stuck in a job they don't love because they're too worried about trying to create a hit or trying to be successful so that other people will go, yes, you did the right thing. Yes, you have been successful as opposed to just going, you know what, I'm going to have a crack at it. What's the worst thing that can happen? Mm. And, you know, not dying wondering. So I think from the Rolling Stones perspective, and you hear the same thing from all great writers, you don't write for somebody else, you just write for yourself. And yeah. you don't. if you sit down to write a hit, if you sit down to create a business which will be an amazing startup that all the magazines are writing about, if you sit down to cre- it's just not going to happen. You need to sit down and just write down what's my dream and what's the first step to doing it. And the first step to writing a great song is putting pen to paper. So um, mm. that would be go. my take on it. Words of wisdom from the great man. <laughs> Keith and Mick. Keith and Mick. And I reckon what better way to play out this week when um, with a bit of satisfaction. We're out.
Produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.